Hi there and welcome to podcast 59 from Football Aranya, your home of Dutch football. I'm Michael Statham, as usual. Mike Bell is here, our website founder and editor. But also I've got a special guest here today for you and it's Jeroen Tyson, who is the head researcher for the Netherlands for Football Manager, that famous game that you probably all know. Today we're going to be discussing a lot to do with the Netherlands national team, including the likes of Dest, Ihatada, Weghorst, what's their future with the Netherlands? Plenty more as well with the upcoming games against Germany and Estonia to talk about. But also, we've got the Champions League and Europa League draws involving Dutch clubs in Europe that was announced this week. What do we think of their chances? Plenty more around that too. We hope that you enjoy this podcast. We're available on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Football Nation Radio. Make sure wherever you listen, you drop us a like, subscribe, show us your support. Plenty more to be coming on our website and our YouTube channel over the coming days um, involving the Netherlands. So make sure you keep in touch on those platforms. Um, so Mike, you know, um, let, let's start talking about the Netherlands. They've made their final squad selection and there's a few contentious ones, mainly to do with the players that aren't in the squad rather than the ones that seem to be in there. Um, and one that actually came up quite a lot in our questions via Twitter was about um, PSV midfielder Moe Hitada, who's very young, he's 17, and at the moment there's uh, a bit of confusion whether he'll choose the Netherlands or Morocco. Um, Mike, I want to get your opinion first of all about whether you think that he's already for the national team, because if you call him up, you time down to the Netherlands, but isn't it a bit early for that? Yeah, um, he's only 17, he's only played a handful of games, looks to be a great talent for PSV, but I do think that calling him up right now would just be for the sake of getting him tied down to the national team. I don't think he's as good in a position as, say, a, a Ginny Wijnaldum. Um, Donny van der Beek's ahead of him as well. You might have came into the squad instead of him, but yeah, it's just, for me, it's a worry that in the future, I have and it is going to be one of the options for a number 10 position. We've already lost Ziyech to Morocco, Kochu at Feyenoord has decided to play for Turkey and Ihatrin's one that you'll get coming through at the moment. He's going to be a superstar and you can't really fathom why everyone's going to want to tie him down as soon as possible. He's even, he's meant to be included in the under-21 squad, but I think he decided not to accept that as well. So he's just going to keep playing for the, the Netherlands under-19s lower than that. Um, for the time being, and he's just not ready to make that decision yet. You see, to hope that the players around him at PSV, ones like Ibrahim Afalai, who made the decision for Netherlands over Morocco, will help persuade him to decide on Orange. But I'm really hoping that Ronald Koeman's constantly in his ear and telling him that he has plans for him because he's one player that I don't want Netherlands to lose. Uh, yeah, um, well, uh, first off, still, thank you for having me. Uh, it's nice to be on this podcast. Not the first time, of course, is it? You were uh, on our live um, podcast so, a little while ago, weren't yeah. you? We did a we did a live one. Uh, was it two seasons ago? Or was it uh, last season? I think it was a couple of years ago now. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, good to be back. Thank you for uh, allowing me again. <laughs> I guess it was nice enough. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, this is a tough question actually. Um, yeah, the more uh, the more you 
cutting uh, uh, ordeal. Uh, I would say right now I wouldn't pick him because yeah he is right now still just too young and uh, yeah, he's still a bit flaky. He's he's a fantastic talent. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, he can play in multiple positions. He can play as an eight or a ten even. Uh, it could perhaps cut him from the left wing. But we have Germany coming up, and I don't believe that you can select him for a match against Germany. That's uh, well, you can put him on in the 89th minute and see what happens, and then tie him down. But uh, that's a bit of a waste of a spot. You can play him against Estonia. I mean, that's not the strongest uh, uh, team. Uh, to, to have uh, a, a young talent play against but would that be fair to uh, the current players that are in the squad uh, in the first place and would that actually be fair to Irtaran as well um, it's complicated will he choose Holland will he choose Morocco ultimately he will have to decide um, obviously I always hope that a player picks the Dutch squad but um, in the end, uh, it has to be uh, a, a decision that uh, the player is for himself. And if he chooses Morocco because that is what he favours, and that's fine. Uh, what Koeman yeah, should do, I mean, it's complicated. But um, I would just be open and uh, explain what the uh, the chances or the possibilities are. And how uh, how he will see uh, Ihacharan fill a spot uh, between now and, uh, I don't know, four or five years' time four or five years time he is quite likely to be a starting player in the, in, in the Dutch lineup as well if he, as, as long as he keeps progressing and then again you've got the situation where Morocco is also uh, looking at how they perform the team they have yeah, it's also an interesting uh, country to choose I mean Ziyech's gone there uh, Idrissi is uh, going as well so uh, yeah from, from that point of view I can, I can see him pick uh, Morocco as well it's difficult it is difficult. He's a great talent um, and he's standing out for PSV game by game. He's getting better and better. But yeah, he is um, a little bit young and perhaps too young to be called up by Ronald Koeman. But of course, it's a situation where you know you can time down. But do you want to be tying down a player who who is kind of 50-50 between the two countries? You want players that really want to be playing for their country and not, not someone for doing it just for the sake of it. So I guess it's End of the day, it's down to the player. Um, but Kyle asked on Twitter, uh, what are the chances for him choosing around you? Well, at the minute, it looks quite low because he's been hinting in the media that he might well be interested in playing for Morocco. I think his family want him to do that. But Kyle also asked this question, guys. Um, who can be the potential number 10 for Aranya in the future? For me, I'd be looking at Ajax's under-19 squad this season, uh, Nachi Univar. Um, he's a superb talent as well. He could also choose another country and be in a Turkish roots. But yeah, for me, he's got a whole package um, for someone so young, 17. Um, he looks to be the next talent from Ajax going to go on to be something special. And in a few, four or five years' time, he could be ready for the Dutch national team. More... Now, you've got Jenny Wine Adam, and then after that, it's probably going to be Donny van der Beek. Then after that, I'll look at Univar or Ihatrin if he chooses Holland. Yeah, I think we uh, we can still manage with uh, uh, Van Oldham uh, for now, and, and Donny van der Beek is, is, a, is a great choice for the next uh, um, four or five, uh, 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 something like uh, that amount of years. Uh, 
But those are really, if, if, I, if I look at all the, the number 10s that we, we currently have, I would say that those are really the only two that I would say are absolutely great for the national, national team. You've got your Davy Klaassen, uh, Prupper, maybe Gustil, but they're not, they're not on a great level. Um, so uh, yeah, we, we should be looking at the, uh, the type of players that are coming up. And then, yes, Ihacharan could be an option. Nasi Unavar is absolutely, without a doubt, the uh, the biggest talent that is uh, walking around uh, right now. So, yes, definitely uh, Nasi Unavar. Uh, as you mentioned, he might uh, consider Turkey as well. But, uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, and maybe look into a, a, a sort of a system with, uh, let's say, very pacey and rotating players so then you're going to look at your tactics but then you've got the the fast wingers that can also move around from left to right to center and then i'm thinking about guys like uh, uh stengs for example um Iataran can also fit that uh, bergwijn uh, should be good for the next years uh, boadu but then i prefer boadu possibly just a little bit more up front but it could work just want to pick up that point about um the pacey tactics of the Netherlands um, it's something that Kuhlman seems to be building upon he's using the players at his disposal and also the threat of Memphis Depay up front we've seen that Daniel Marlins being called up as another striker into the squad again another pacey player who likes to get in behind defences um, so there's actually a few questions about Valk Vekhorst um, amongst our selection this week um, thank you to everybody that's sending in their questions on Twitter make sure you keep doing that we're getting more and more each time um, for example, Abdul, um, he said, why, why is Wanakuman choosing Luke de Jong over Valt Verkost? We've also had somebody else send in a question asking about Verkost as well. And he said, why isn't Verkost in the selection? This guy's been scoring plenty of goals in Germany. He's progressed himself since his time at RZ. Scored 17 goals, gave 7 assists and 34 Bundesliga appearances last season. Scored another two goals already this, this season. So why not Verkost? Is it... Um, as I was alluding to there, because of the tactics Kim is presenting, or are there other reasons? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely tactical. I mean, uh, personally, I love Horst and uh, uh, yeah, he'd be my first choice as, as a proper striker. Um, but what I think uh, Kuman will do, uh, as he has been uh, doing the last, uh, uh, well, actually, since pretty much since he's been appointed, is use uh, pace up front. Uh, when the national team gets the ball back, uh, try to get the ball into the offence as quickly as possible using creative midfielders or using pacey wingers and then everybody up front. Uh, except maybe Babel. Babel is not the fastest, but okay, given he's not slow. But guys like Babel, Bromes, Bergwijn, Berghaus, uh, now he's selected Daniel Malen, they all have good pace. Their horse is not quick. He's a, he's a great striker, he's a good poacher or target man, what have you, absolutely. Um, but he will not actually uh, fit this role that um, uh, yeah, that Kuman is looking for uh, up front. Uh, we've got Memphis, who's a little bit quicker. Um, why hasn't he selected Weghorst? Uh, why did he take Luke de Jong? Uh, again, tactics. I think Weghorst is better, but I think Luke de Jong might just be a little bit more clinical. Um, I think Luke de Jong is a better header than a heading goal scorer than Weghorst. Uh, which he definitely showed when he was still at PSV. He scored so many heading goals, and I think that might just edge him over Weghorst. But 
if we were to play a different set of tactics with uh, with a pure striker up front, I believe that it should always be Weghorst. Yeah, for me it's a case of he's going to pick one between Luke de Jong and Weghorst, and it seems at the moment he prefers Luke de Jong. Um, I think that for both of them it's a case of they're going to come into the side if Netherlands needs somebody to you know, be in the box towards the end for, for crosses, and Cumin thinks that Luke de Jong is the best man for that job at the moment. Um, and all Weghorst can really do is just keep doing what he's doing and Bundesliga scoring goals, and eventually might get his chance because from what I've seen of Luke de Jong so far for Sevilla it's not probably gone as well as he had hoped it would have and he's missing quite a few chances so if Weghorst keeps scoring then you know Kuman can't really start keep uh, continue to ignore him. Yeah Weghorst is, um, is, is quite a, a, a player who's not just um, the pole that he used to be if you like for the Netherlands um, he's really improved his link-up game um, it's therefore surprising for me why Cuban doesn't try and integrate him into the starting eleven. Um, but let's let's see what the future holds for Netherlands because it's not just about Vekos and Dion. There's players such as Marlon Bowadu who are again pacey strikers who Bowadu or Marlon could be the future of the national team themselves. And I, I think maybe he's thinking of quite far down the line actually there by trying to sort of. Um, build up this this pacey way of playing because he knows it will be the future of the Netherlands. Um, let's go back to the point about Ihatada and how he's a young player who um, the Netherlands trying to tie down because there were two of the people that asking about Serginio Dest. Um, he has been impressing, hasn't he, for Ajax? Um, as as he's, a, he's a fullback, he can play in the wings as well. He has been playing for Ajax at right back though so far this season. Um, he impressed a lot in pre-season. And William was asking, with the USA zeroing in on Dest, when should Koeman pull the trigger and call him into the squad? Um, because, you know, if he waits too long, he might lose Dest to the USA, who is also eligible for playing for. Um, Kai was also saying that he's one of the best talents that Netherlands have had in a while and he could be an important piece for the Dutch national team. So again, um, is it worth tying him down and is he ready yet? I think he is a player that everyone should be looking at. He's the, probably the, the next in line for the right back row. If you had Dumfries and then Karsdorp is maybe the first two, then you'd look at Dest maybe after that. But from what I've seen is Erwin van der Luyde and everyone's under 21 coach was asked about Dest and why he's not being called into the squad. And he said that it was something to do along the lines of, of paperwork. There was a lot of paperwork that would need to be done to switch him. Um, and he didn't want to do that just yet and the USA have obviously seen that Netherlands are starting to get interested and have decided to come up for a friendly and um, I think it's the same reason that Cumin said that Morocco wouldn't be able to get a hatter in now is because of reasons you know behind the scenes the, the the paperwork that need to be completed for it to to be a switch I know it's a not a very solid reason to not pick somebody just because they want to do, don't want to do some paperwork but I think um, Netherlands still have hope for Dest because USA are just playing some friendlies. We need to see after that if Cumin does have a conversation with him, try and switch him before next time USA actually play a competitive match because that's when there's actual risk of losing him, which there isn't just yet. De definitely, the uh, that, that's a good point with the uh, 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 the USA situation. I'm, I'm not fully aware of their, uh, their schedule, but uh, yeah, as you mentioned, if, if they have uh, a bunch of friendlies lined up, uh, 
until, I don't know, somewhere next year, then uh, by all means, Des can even play for the US national team and then still uh, uh, convert to Dutch, uh, to the Dutch national team. Um, so that uh, that is something that we could still uh, slightly postpone. Um, yeah, uh, like Otaran, always difficult decision. Um, who's got the be who's got the better option? Who's who's more interesting for for Serginho? Would that be the Dutch national team? Would that be the USA? Um, I do believe that uh, uh, yeah, Dest has been playing really well. Um, definitely, he's. Uh, we were looking at him last season, and. We're still doubtful. Okay, is he going to be really good? Uh, yes, he's got bags of potential, but um, definitely still some question marks. But he's already shown right away this season that he's uh, capable to play uh, in the first team of Ajax. So that's good for him. And uh, yeah, the the options, the alternatives at right back are not that great, and maybe even left back. So yeah, there are quite some possibilities for Dest uh, uh, between. I wouldn't say now, but. Or let's say next year in a few years' time. I mean, Dumfries isn't great. Um, what are the alternatives? Uh, uh, Karstorp isn't great. Uh, Kenny Tate isn't great. Uh, Paul Verhaag is getting on. Hartebour isn't great. Uh, do we want to put Veltman as right back? Uh, they're all uh, they're not great. So if Dest keeps on uh, uh, getting better, maybe Kiana Hoover, by the way, uh, is at Liverpool, could be an option. Uh, but yeah, I, I see all the I, I see the guys that we currently have: Dumfries, Karstorp, uh, Data, maybe even Jan Mat. I wouldn't really want to see them in the Dutch national team, ideally, in three, four, five years from now. Yeah, they're the right backs you mentioned there. You know, they're good right backs. They're just not great, and that is the thing for Netherlands now. They're not looking at good players. They want great players. They want to be trying to accelerate the likes of Calvin Stengs, who was mentioned earlier, um, to to play for the senior side. So I can see why people are calling out for these young players to come in because they know that they can be the future of the team and they don't want to be giving chances again and again against people like Kevin Stoneman who keeps getting called up for the squad. They want players now who can accelerate the progress of the whole team and become one brilliant world-class team in a few years' time. Uh, but, yeah, and still Koeman's still calling up these other players who, for the time being, might look like a sensible option with games like Germany coming up but how far down the line should Dutch fans be looking here? Um, short term or long term? That's perhaps the argument. Um, one of the players who's arguably going to be the future of the Netherlands national team for quite a while is Frank de Jong. And Football Tings asked a question on Twitter. He said, should Frank be playing at defence midfield or central midfield? I guess what he means is, should he be the six or the eight? For me, the role he's been playing with the national team so far it's been perfect with Durin, you know, beside him. The two of them can mop up. But Frankie's, for me, is at his best when he drops deep, picks up the ball, and then runs into space, um, which we've seen him do countless times for the Netherlands recently. And, you know, he's not getting that at Barcelona in the past couple of games because of Busquets. And that's his role in, in Barcelona and their coach, Ernesto Valverde, who I know isn't universally loved by Barcelona fans. Um, has been playing him in some sort of weird left midfield slash left wing position in the past couple of games and it's not gone really well for him and he's not been playing playing great and there's been some criticism but I think when he comes into the Netherlands side he's going to be sitting alongside Darun and he's going to be the one that's going to drop deep take the ball off the defence and then look for the long balls over the top or the 
where the counter-attacking defence split and balls through the middle. And that's, uh, that's his best role for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Frankie is um, he's multifunctional. He can play several positions, but he's at best as, as a six. I mean, he can play an eight. He can play central defender if really needed, but uh, six is his best position, so that's uh, ideally what you'll be looking at. Um, you can rotate a little bit if you have, for example, a Doron who's capable of doing uh, both positions as well. Uh, maybe someone like Rosario could also work Copeminers uh, in, in the future, then you've got a little bit of rotation. But uh, Frankie de Jong's best position, and, and he's absolutely great, uh, is as a six, so that's what you, you should prefer uh, box to box. Uh, do your defensive duties, be creative, and uh, 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 give wonderful passes and read the game and, and, and win the duels. That's what, he, what he's good at. Yeah, he's. That's his best position, I agree with both of you. He's just far better when he can pick up the ball from deep and just um, start the moves off for a lot of the goals that, that the Netherlands can create. By the way, uh, what's happened to Matthijs De Ligt, his old teammate? He didn't have a great start, did he, for Juventus? Not really. No, it's a shame because Juventus were reading 3 now for an hour and the first half went well from just after the bait. The break, um, you know, Napoli got three goals. Delict defensively at fault for definitely one of them. He just let Lozano get past him and didn't bother tracking him. Um, the other two were suspect, and all the Italian media went really heavy on him because he's such a, a big purchase and he's meant to be a replacement for Chiellini, who's going to be out for for months. And mm. yeah, uh, there was big things expected from him. first start, new country, such still a young lad. I think it's. A shame that he's been given this much criticism. It reminds me of a lot of what happened when he first came into the Dutch national team. That away game against Bulgaria. After that, a lot of people were ready to write him off, and he bounced back from that. And I expect him fully to bounce back from this as well. Yeah, let's hope because um, the season he had last season, the people were really quick to be like, "Well, oh, that's um, that's the lich for you being shown out in a proper league." And but of course, you know, he's all those. Brilliant performances we saw in the Champions League and for the Netherlands. Does that mean they counted for nothing? You know, the, the reaction that he was receiving, it was ridiculous. The Ligt was, uh, yeah, he was, he was fantastic uh, 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 last season uh, with Ajax, uh, Frankie de Jong as well. Uh, he was also very good in the Dutch national team. Um, yeah, he had a, a bit of a tricky start. I, I actually believe that in the game against Bulgaria, uh, it wasn't, it was partially his fault. It wasn't, he wasn't the only player to blame. Uh, there wasn't a good co communication with uh, the goalkeeper, and I think the I don't remember who the central midfielder was, but everybody just started slating the Licht, and I thought that was a little bit uh, uh, yeah too easy. Uh, he bounced back wonderfully. Um, his start at Juventus is dreadful. Those things happen. I mean, obviously he's got to uh, adjust and uh, pick up the game, but uh, yeah, that might take uh, oh, that might take a month. That might take a couple of months. The, the time where De Ligt had that horror show against Bulgaria, um, I remember writing a, a really long article about how, um, well, yes, the, the goals were De Ligt's fault, but it was all Danny Blint's fault for throwing him in so early. And um, I remember writing everything about what went wrong in that performance. I think it was one of the worst performances the Netherlands have produced in their history. It was that, that awful. Um, but that was a dark time <laughs> in Dutch football history, and let's hope that we've kind of moved on now and... Yeah, let, let, let's also see what happens to Lit now and if he can bounce back from it. Because one player I, I, who... I, I, ideally, he'll, he'll, play, uh, he'll play the start... Oh, 
he'll probably be in, he will probably be in the lineup with uh, with Virgil van Dijk against Germany and Estonia. Ideally, they'll just play really well, uh, book a good result against Germany, uh, and everybody will say, "Oh, the Licht is fantastic," and then he can take that and uh, uh, try and get things going at Juve again. Well, yeah, it's very quick in football to turn things around. Um, I've, I've seen John Terry make uh, uh, dreadful mistakes, so. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and, and what a legend he's turned out to be. Uh, but one player who went to uh, Italy from the Netherlands and didn't succeed so much, or he certainly hasn't so far in the time he's been in Italy, Justin Clavert, um, S underscore Van Den, um, he, he said, what happened to him? And looking at the back and the success he had at Ajax, um, and the fact that Ajax, you know, they've been doing really well since he left the club, um, and how little he's done with Roma, he asked, how much of a disaster has his move turned out to be? The biggest thing I would argue about that is how much of a success was he for Ajax? Um, take away one or two really good performances. There wouldn't have been many Ajax fans that said he was their stand-up player when he you know, was the starter for that one year. There was a few highlight reels and that's really what got him the big move. I think last year he was allowed to do you know, t time to adapt. He's still very young. He's going to Italy, new, new club, new language. You had to get used to it. He did a couple of good things, a couple of good performances. Mostly came off from the bench, but he started last week for Roma in their first game of the season. He won. I know he's on the bench again today um, for their game against Lazio away from home. I think he will definitely get chances to, to start games. He looks um, to have put on a bit of muscle from what I saw from him last week. I think he is getting bit more physically ready for for Syria and you know it's only one two games into the season we can't write him off just yet yeah I, I agree uh, he was um, he was decent at, uh, at Ajax uh, very clearly show that he's uh, uh, he's a great talent uh, I understand uh, why uh, Roma have gone for him I understand why he left for Roma I think it might have been a little bit early for him to move. He would have done well to stick at Ajax for another year, but uh, I mean, turn down Roma, that's, uh, that's a tough one as well. Uh, but he, he, yeah, he, he hasn't done bad. He, he's not been great uh, in, in, in the Serie A, but I've actually checked his stats and he, he did play 29 games in the Serie A last season. Okay, he was subbed a lot, he came on a lot, but uh, he was definitely part of the first team and I think uh, yeah if you're still a developing player then for your first year that's fine um, yeah he will need to uh, to consistently play this season um, will he yeah it's a little bit too soon to tell um, I think it's too early to to write him off will he be a bust um, will he be a good signing is everything turning out for the right uh, right now it's he's not doing great but I would definitely give him until the uh, the winter break to see how it's developing. If he just gets uh, like seven or eight games in, then uh, uh, yeah, then we can uh, uh, decide better. And it still looks like, as, as Mike said, I didn't see it, didn't catch the uh, the game, but he did play uh, in the Serie A already this season. He won't play all the games, but uh, yeah, he should definitely get, uh, get plenty of chances this year. Okay, guys. Um that was our discussion about the Dutch national team. It's time to focus now on how the Dutch clubs are getting on. And yeah, the news this week's been about the Champions League and Europa League draws. Um, I guess that the, the, how I want to sort of go through this is what are the chances of, of our four Dutch clubs, Ajax, PSV, Final, RZ, 
um, in European competition, given the teams that they've drawn. Um, and I think the place to start should be um, Ajax and the Champions League. So they've been drawn up against Chelsea from England, Valencia from Spain and Lille from France. Um, the other three teams aren't champions of their countries, which may suggest that Ajax have a chance. Um, what do you think? For me, I think that the draw could have been much, much harder for them. But it's a very open group, very even group. I think there's one or two teams in there that, if they play to their potential, can definitely cause Ajax a lot of problems. I think that Valencia on a day can be great, on a day can be absolutely terrible. Um, same could be said about Chelsea. You know, I saw them at the weekend through away a two lead against Sheffield United at home. It's not very, it's not gone very well so far for Frank Lampard in charge of them. And for me, I think Ajax have a great chance of getting out of this group. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I think that they have at home they can beat all three of these clubs, and away they can get some results as well. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I think they have a great chance of progressing. Yeah, I agree. Um tough group but uh, could have been a lot worse um, I think that any of these four teams can qualify for the uh, for the next rounds um, I would say that perhaps Lille are a little bit less likely but yeah they have chances as well and I, I do believe that Ajax can uh, beat Chelsea Lille Valencia uh, at home they can also lose it's, it's going to be it's going to be tight but uh, they should be able to get um, probably two wins, maybe a draw at home, and then yeah, they'll just need maybe one win away from home, and I can see that happen. Chelsea haven't impressed me so far. Valencia aren't fantastic. Lille aren't fantastic. Could have been much worse. It could have been uh, who, who else could have been drawn? Been drawing? Um, well, much much better teams for sure. So. I do, I do fancy Ajax's chances. Things will have to go their way. Chelsea might have to have a bit of an off day, uh, maybe in London or Valencia in Spain. But, uh, well, if not first, then second place is definitely on the cards. For me personally, um, I think it's a good draw for Ajax. Although I think we'll delve into it in just a moment about how actually they are they are a bit weaker than last season, and the reasons why, again, in a moment. But I, I predict that we'll see um, one of these four teams really struggle in the group. And I actually think Ajax might finish third. I just think that it will be a really tight group, and it might well be that a team with nine points or so progresses from this group because of how tight it may end up being. Um, let's see how it goes. I think Chelsea are... Um, one of the weakest top seeds Ajax could have got. They're a young team, and we've seen that already this season. But Frank Lampard will get the best out of these players, and he will progress them as a group, I think. Uh, Valencia will always be a tough Spanish team to play against, and Lille finished um, well in France last season. So, you, you know, they even though they've lost Pepe to Arsenal, they're, they're a very good team still, very pacey. Uh, but, yeah, the, the reasons why Ajax might struggle. Alex asked a question on Twitter, and he was asking about um, your Veltman. Is he really the best option to start in the centre of defence in the group phase of the Champions League? And that's one of the, the criticisms I have about Ajax too, Alex. And um, Mike, I'd like to ask you first about this because we talked about it a little bit in the podcast in the past, haven't we? And how that Ajax this season so far, even after today's 4-1 win over Sparta, they still haven't started the same starting eleven at all this season. They keep changing it. Eriksen Hag is still experimenting, which is fine, but... With the Champions League coming really soon, 
Veltman in centre defence? For me, no. Um, I've said it in the past two podcasts. I don't understand why he keeps insisting on playing in Veltman, and I don't know why Veltman's received a, a call up to the national team. Um, for me, he's a liability at the back for Ajax, and yeah, for me, I just don't really understand why Ajax have fought so hard to to keep him this this summer. Um, for me, Edson Alvarez looks like a a quality signing. I think we saw that in this second half against Apoel Nicosia. I think he was one of the best players on the pitch. And he's got the height, he's got the ball playing ability to drop into the centre. And I want to see him alongside Daily Blind and see how it works. And um, then two together. I think um, Martinez looked good in midfield against Sparta. Rotterdam, some of his long range passing, one over for Quincy Promise open goal was, was excellent. But yeah, uh, for me, Joe Veltman should not be starting for, for Ajax in centre defence. I think he's the second option for or third option for right back. And um, for me, and these, I'd even play Perskers above him against some of these teams because if any of these teams start putting crosses into the box, a centre back pairing of Joe Veltman and Daley Blind does not fill me with confidence that they're going to be able to to resist headers getting in on goal. Yeah, Mike, and th- that seems to be the issue that that there's. A bit of carnage going in the box whenever a high ball goes in. Um, Ajax haven't kept an, an away clean sheet. Um, in two, they only kept one, sorry, clean sheet in 2019 away from home. It's clear the defence is an issue. It's the back line. Um, and there's no question about their full-backs, how they, they, can get, they can do really well going forward, especially Tagliafico. But it's that heart of defence. And, you know, and I was going to ask you, uh, what's going on with this Ajax sort of defensive quartet they've got going on they've they've been playing martinez yeah. and alvarez in midfield who are both center backs martinez yeah. looks like he might do well in midfield but alvarez is their big center back they've just signed to replace the lit why is he playing in midfield and then veltman in, in the center defense yeah it's uh, it's it's difficult um, i actually don't envy uh Hag, or at least looking at, at joel veltman maybe i don't envy joel veltman except for his wages um but i mean yeah, he can, he can play a cent- as a central defender. He can play as a right back. Uh, that is not that big of an issue if you look at the Eredivisie. That will be fine, no worries. But if we look at all the the players in, in his positions, right back, you can have Masraoui, uh, you, ha- you have Dest, you have Feldman. They can all play. Um, I'm not really sure why he's benched Masraoui. Yeah, okay, he's not played that well. But if you have one one poor game, that doesn't mean that you need to be benched. Um, or maybe the red card, but but then the centre back you've got Alvarez, you've got Martinez, you've got Veltman, um, you've got Schuur, so that's four options for that position. Um, I can see that he would look at Veltman uh, for the uh, Champions League for his experience, because he is looking at all the defenders. He's is he the oldest? I think he is. Maybe Taifico. Um but. It may also have to do that the uh, the new uh, Argentinians are yeah they've they've just joined they're doing well uh, except for Magallan has not been great but Martinez and uh, uh, Alvarez are good players I think that they will be the uh, central unit for the majority of the season but they just needed to uh, adjust a little bit and then yeah then you're fine with bringing Feldman in uh, at least in the EWC yeah. They've, they've had a few defensive bust-ups. 
Um, not sure if that is something that you should really be concerned about, but um, that might be an issue. That is something that you need to work on uh, against the uh, the top sides. I mean, if Lille are, are going to come on, Valencia are going to come on with uh, uh, strong wingers, big strikers, then uh, that might cause a problem. Uh, so hopefully for Ajax, the uh, um, let's say the bigger uh, central defenders, and I'm also looking at Schurz, but he's still very young. Um, so I'm not sure if you want to uh, um, put too much uh, faith in him uh, on that part. But yeah, you will be looking at, uh, at those options, uh, possibly ahead of Feldman. Yeah. And uh, I think I think he's with the Dutch national team too to cover for right back. I mean, you've got uh, De Ligt and De Frey, uh, Van Dijk and uh, Ake at the centre. So you've got Dumfries and Veldman as right back. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Veldman, for me, he impressed at the end of last season coming in in some of these Champions League games and I thought he was very good actually in the right back position when Masvari wasn't available um, but I'm just questioning now why he's the sort of lead centre-back um, in the Harvest defence but yeah let's see if Ten Hag can, can sort it and originally he yeah he, he um, he's originally used a centre-back from the uh, with the youth systems but he's turned into a right back um, so yeah, he can put. He can obviously still play uh, centre back, but uh, I would say that he's preferred right back. Um, that's Ajax's chances anyway. Uh, let's have a look at the Europa League group stage um, draws then for PSV. So they PSV have been drawn against Sporting Lisbon for Portugal, Rosenborg from Norway, and Austrian side Lask, LASK, Lask. Um, Feyenoord have got a tough group in my opinion. Porto. Young Boys from Switzerland and Rangers from Scotland and RZ have been drawn against Manchester United, Astana from Kazakhstan and Partizan Belgrade from Serbia. So, who's got the best chance of qualifying? PSV. I agree. I think, I think there's actually chances for all three, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, PSV. I mean, Sporting are going to be really tough. Uh, I think Sporting might be better than PSV, uh, but that's fine. I mean, you'll finish second. You should be able to beat uh, uh, Rosenborg and, and, and Lask as well. I'm not saying that's going to be easy, of course not, but uh, let's just look at those four teams. Um, sporting are very good. Uh, might be able to actually catch a win at home, but let's not count on it. But then Rosenborg and Lask, that, uh, yeah, that should be doable. They're not bad teams, but... Uh, they're well scouted. We know how they play. Uh, they're not going to come up with too many surprises, and especially Lask. I mean, yeah, they 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 could be tough. I mean, you can have your uh, uh, your 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 OCEC, uh, dramas a few years ago, but uh, normally pace they should be uh, should should be fine, and they should maybe even relatively easily finish second. It's a good point about PSV there, um, but I quite like the look of RZ's group, and given how yeah. they've performed so well in Europe in the past. Um, you know, Manchester United, yes, they're a tough team. They're a big club from England. They're, they've got a very expensive squad. But are they motivated to play in Europe? You know, you've got Astana and Partizan. And even though they're both very long trips away from home in Europe, RZ are, in my opinion, um, a better quality team than both of those other teams. Um, what do you think about this, Mike? You said about PSU perhaps being the favourites in their group, but finals and RZ have got good chances too. Yeah, for me, um, I've seen a lot of criticism um, of Sporting so far this season. I know Marcel Kaiser's coming under some pressure. They've lost some some big games already. I think that PSV could could win that group, and it's going to be vitally important that they finish above 
Lask just for the, the coefficient battle against Austria. That's a big game, home and away, um, for, for Dutch football. But yeah, I agree with you that AZ, I think they can definitely come at least second in that group. And we saw a couple of years ago, you know, Feyenoord beat my United at home. And I really, I'm really excited to see how Calvin Stengs, Bordeaux, Idrissi, Kutminers, how they all cope against a team like Manchester United because, you know, I've, I've been making calls for Stengs especially to be given a chance in the Dutch national team and, uh, you know, going to Old Trafford and welcome uh, my United to what's probably going to be Addo Den Haag Stadium. Um, yeah, it's going to be exciting to see how they they step up to those occasions. I think my United, are they going to take this competition seriously? Ole Gunnar uh, Solskjaer is already under pressure. He might rest some players for these games. Yeah, I think AZ have a great chance, but for me, yeah, Feyenoord's group looks, for me, the toughest, I think. Porto, home and away is going to be difficult. Young boys away is going to be very difficult. And uh, Rangers away is also a, a difficult night. The atmosphere that you can get at Ibrox is, can be great. Sometimes they've got dangerous players. And Feyenoord's defence is quite shaky. Rangers have some good strikers. And... Yeah, I can see Feyenoord doing the business at home on maybe one or two of those games, but going away from home, can you can they get the points that they need? Uh, I doubt it, but yeah, I'd, I'd really rate AZ and PSV's chances of progressing. Feyenoord, mm, we'll see. I think I think the uh, yeah the, the the good news for AZ is that um, yeah they're um, the fourth team in the group, so they don't have to. Um, no one's really well. People might be expecting it, but nobody's going to say, "Oh, I said a rubbish. They didn't qualify if they don't." Um, I yeah, I, I actually do fancy the, the chances because Astana and Partizan aren't great sides either. Will uh, indeed Man United uh, at some point say, "Oh, we can't really be bothered. Uh, we'll put in a few reserve players and can us steal a quickie? Uh, can they steal a, Can they steal a sneaky win? Yeah, why not?" Um, and then Feyenoord, yeah, they, yeah, I, I do think that they have a chance as well. Um, I don't really rate young boys. I don't really rate Rangers. However, yeah, you do mention uh, what well, you do mention. I mean, uh, what fifty thousand people at Ibrox, that is going to be, uh, that's going to be tricky. But uh, I don't think that the Rangers and the young boys have lost quite a few good players as well. If Feyenoord still clinch a good striker and uh, they're bringing in a fantastic uh, new central defender uh, from uh, from Argentina, uh, um, they're not they're not out of it. It's not going to be easy, but but out of the out of the three or out of the four, then I do believe that Feyenoord will face the uh, yeah the most difficult uh, uh, opposition still. But I'm very curious about Marcus Sinesi, who uh, uh, seems to be signing. Yeah, Marcus Sinesi um, is looking like he'll be signing for final. It could be a record deal for the club as well, €7 million. Euros. Uh, but yeah, they, just bringing back to the Rangers match, we had a question from a foreign Rangers fan. I, I don't speak Afrikaans, but it looks like Dutch, and I can speak a bit of Dutch. Um, I think he's asking us how, how we think about Rangers' chances against Feyenoord. Um, yeah, the, it's. I think just to... We kind of mentioned it already about how it can be a difficult atmosphere in Scotland. Uh, I think Feyenoord's problem is going to be how they can deal with those away matches against young boys and Rangers because it's not so much then about how good the team is. Um, Feyenoord are a youngish team and actually can their players handle the atmosphere? Can they handle the occasion? Because I'm sure that Feyenoord in their own stadium will have the, the on, on their own side and I think that it will put a lot of teams off and it will give those... 
um, Dutch players a lot of confidence to go and beat the teams that they're playing. Uh, so yeah, it's a very tough group for Fighting Order, but it's one they can get through for sure. And uh, just a final thing about RZ, um, a final question to end this podcast. Uh, Gareth is asking about the stadium again, and we've mentioned it a bit in our last few podcasts about how RZ's um, stadium issue it could be going on until next season. That they're, At the moment, the plan is uh, to remove the roof at Christmas and then play back in their own stadium after Christmas and then fix a stadium over next summer in preparation for the new season. And the question was from Gareth saying, will playing away from their stadium have a negative impact on RZ, both domestically and in Europe? And just before I open the floor to both you you two, um, I think personally that, that the, the, uh, the word I'm looking for is the, the gimmick sort of effect that RZ will have that, oh, we're playing in a different stadium this week. This will be, be interesting. I think that, that, that will only last so long for the club and for the players. I think to start with, the players are going to handle it with it quite well. We've seen so far that they've done okay not playing in their own stadium. But I don't know how long that's going to last. And I think that over the next few months, we could start to see a few tired players going to play in Europe then going to play in different parts of the country. It's like playing away matches again and again, isn't it? So that's why I think it'll have a negative impact on yeah, for me, it depends on, you know, the fans are going to want to see these games. Um, the atmosphere, I know from the home leg against, in the last round, against Antwerp, the home game that was in Enschede, only 3,000 fans travelled and the stadium was basically empty. Other than Hags, it's a smaller stadium. You're hoping that AZ will, will sell out, get the atmosphere going. It's going to be difficult, you know, Thursday nights. So, Traveling outside of Alkmaar to go to these games, you know, you know, hope that the fan base will do that, give the team a lot of support, and make it seem like a home game. Because you know, if it's in a big stadium where with no fans, then it's going to feel feel really different, and it's it's not what you expect and not what you want for a Dutch club in, in Europe to not be supported the way that we know that they can be. You know that Feyenoord's atmosphere on these nights is going to be great. You know that Ajax's atmosphere is going to be great, and you want that same for for AZ in these tighter games that they're going to need it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just definitely uh, uh, far from ideal. Um, I'm actually based in uh, in Den Haag myself, and I was fortunate uh, fortunate enough to actually go to the game uh, to the uh, Mariupol uh, home game, which was actually an away game because they played it in Den Haag. Um, Atmosphere-wise, hospitality that was fantastic. Um, the uh, the green and yellow, which is uh, uh, Ados colours, were replaced with the AZ colours, and yeah, a lot of things were done to make uh, AZ and also the fans sort of feel at home. Uh, is it the same? No, obviously not. And um, actually, there was quite a large crowd. The atmosphere was fine, um, but that possibly also had to do with the fact that it was actually the first. Uh, Europa League game, so a lot of people were probably like, "All right, let's let's just go there and uh, uh, see what happens." Uh, so that was a four 0 win. Um, a little a little fortunate. Mariupol were just completely done after the uh, the two 0 and the three 0 um, But you can't you can't just think that this will have no effect on the players. Um, it's a travel. It's not massive. I mean, Alkmaar and Haag be like an, an hour maybe an hour and a half um, but it's still an away game and uh, one or two away games is actually it's a different uh, uh, surface as well it's artificial grass and not the uh, grass that the uh, as players are used to um, it, it, it 
probably won't be that big of an issue for one or two or three games, but if they have to play all their away games until the winter break or maybe even longer, yeah, they, they will slip up a few games. Uh, I absolutely believe they will. Uh, and this might actually be something that might cost them one or maybe even two spots uh, at the end of the uh, season in the league standings. I can see them perhaps at the beginning of the season, I, I could consider a third place for Azet, uh, fourth, maybe third. But now I'm thinking, unless if Utrecht keep on struggling, uh, they might even drop the fifth just because they um, have the issues with the, uh, uh, the travel and the away games in the half. It's just not the same. No, it's not. Um, I feel for the Azet supporters, as I said last, last, last week in the podcast, said that are going to suffer the most, I think, which is a very unfortunate. Uh, well, Jeroen and Mike, thank you very much for joining me in, in this week's podcast. And I guess it, it depends which order you're listening to these in and if you've got through our entire podcast um, 50 minutes long. Um, if, if, you, if you have and you're waiting for the Germany, the Germany sort of preview for the Netherlands match, yes, it's going to be up and it's going to be on YouTube. Um, it will be as a, as a form as a video um, for you to watch as well. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. There's more content coming out for you too, unless you watch the video already, in which case, well done for getting through a lot of football on your content. Thank you both for joining me, Mike and you know. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the podcast and make sure you're liking and subscribing wherever you are. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah! There is Klaassen, goal!